0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: Jeff Katz happened to be sitting in for Glenn again this morning uh, from News Radio WRVA in Central Virginia. New York Congressman-elect George Santos is not Jewish. He's Jew, uh, one, two, three, four, five, ish, Jew, ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also, I should have you know, a, a floor wax as well as a dessert topping. It's bizarre to me how anybody says A when what they really mean is B. And there's nothing wrong with B. That's the weird thing. Now, Congressman-elect Santos, as far as I can tell, smart guy, talented guy, has done a lot of things, has. As I've looked now, I've been forced to look, right? Because he's everywhere, I really was blissfully unaware of him until a couple of days ago. But now I'm I'm going and I'm looking at his positions on issues and things he wants to do for the people in the uh, the 3rd congressional district in New York and I'm thinking, wow, these are all good points. There's nothing wrong with with what he said on the issues. So why why this? Why this? He says I found out that my Because it was his maternal grandmother was Jewish and therefore he he thought that he would explore some of his Jewish roots. I have no problem with that. Now, I'm sitting here and I'm I'm Jewish anyway, you slice it, you know, you can pause in between Jew and ish if you want or you can do it all the way. But but that's that's me. I've never once thought, hmm, I really should be I should be Episcopalian. Not that there's anything wrong one way or the other, right? I know who I am. Some people may like it. Some people may find it not to their liking. I don't really care. I I can't change that. If he would have said, I found out my maternal grandmother was Jewish. And even though the family is Catholic, after I found this out, I, I really decided to explore the the Jewish roots of my family. You know, that probably would have gotten him even more votes. There would have been plenty of people who said, wow, good for you. Good for you. you. Want to explore more about your family's history. You want to learn about where you you came from. Helps you to kind of craft a direction for, for where you might go. That would have been laudable. But it's, it's one of those things you just can't lie about. And he is trying to say, I didn't I mean Jewish, I meant mm, Jewish. It's, it's bizarre. Then there are the questions about the, the resume. And this is where this really gets interesting. He is being held to account for a couple of things that are apparently just flat out lies. And another thing I don't quite understand if he would have stood up and said, hey, I have a bachelor's degree from, and where was it? I don't think it was Baruch College, and he doesn't have a bachelor's degree from Baruch College, then, then that's a lie. And that's and that's easily provable, right? Hello, college administrator. We just wanted to confirm that uh, one of your former students, George Santos, graduated with a bachelor's degree. And then they go to their their file. And they look it up and say, yep, sure did. June of 1986, he was awarded his degree and it was uh, in whatever it was in, in economics. Okay, thank you very much. That's the end of the conversation. If you decide, well, gosh, I didn't finish the degree for whatever reason. I got tired of it. I decided to go in a different direction. I had a job opportunity. I got married. I had a family. I I just decided college wasn't for me, whatever the reason was. You can't say, well, I have that degree. But if you have studied there, you could honestly say, I attended this college from this year to this year. I studied at this college from this point to this point. And people can look at it and say, well, he only went there for two years. But so he didn't get a degree, right? And you could say, no, I didn't get a degree because I, uh, I, 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 I got a job. I was, I was making money and I, now I had a family. Fantastic. No problem whatsoever. And you know, if you would have stood up and said, I never did finish my college degree. You know, you would have gotten even more votes. You would have gotten votes from people like me who would say, wow, good for you. Not that I'm minimizing collegiate achievement. It's what? I'm five minutes into the program. I haven't even mentioned yet that my oldest boy attends Stanford. Well, there you go. I had to mention it. But <laughs> I get it. Some people absolutely thrive in that collegiate environment and they learn things and they do things. Good for them. And some people don't. And if he just would have said, Wow, I I I was there for a couple of years, it didn't work out, or I didn't like it. It's got my support. Let's say he didn't go quite that far. Let's say he he knew he wasn't actually going to get a degree from there, but but it's a good name. Let's say it's Harvard University, right? Everybody knows Harvard. It's kind of like the Stanford of the East. Let's say you look at Harvard and say, Man, I I can't get into Harvard. I didn't really study at Harvard, but I I, I want the name Harvard University somewhere on my resume. Well, you've got to be very careful because you didn't actually go there. So how are you going to do this? You know what a lot of people do? Because they want to add a prestigious college or university to their resume. They take a class or two. Maybe it's just one class. Well, you cannot say You got a degree from that school because you didn't. That's a lie. You could say, honestly, I studied at Harvard. Now, there's going to be some follow up, right? Because people can say, well, what did you study? "Um, Let's stick with economics. I studied economics. Oh, excellent. Are you going to tell them you took one course? Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. I don't know. But we're talking about what is or is not honest. And I understand people embellish things, they craft things, they they present an image that they think is going to work for them. I don't have any problem with that. Now, my wife, however, has huge problems with all of this. Heidi, oh my gosh, it's like Festivus and and the Costanza dad. I got issues with you people and you're going to hear about it. See, my wife is a graduate of Boston College, uh, magna cum loudly, and, and she's really smart. And she says, eh. what if somebody says they attended Boston College, but all they did was they signed up for a course or two? My perspective is they can honestly say they attended. And she's like, no, no, they didn't. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's truthiness. What? Truthiness. It's my wife's word. Truthiness. Oh, it is sort of true. In fact, it's actually true. You did attend that college. You only attended a class or two. She says, nope, you shouldn't get any credit for it at all. Um, I'm much nicer, as you can tell. Eh, much more giving and relaxed and generous in and, and my praise and accolades for others. Yeah, go ahead. You can do that. Congressman-elect Santos didn't do any of those things. He just flat out said, hey, I got a bachelor's degree from this place, and he didn't. Well, that's a lie. That's not embellishment. That's a lie. Then he was talking about his employment. Once again, if you say, I worked for blah, 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 and somebody says, well, what did you do there? I think his was what? Goldman Sachs, another big firm I understand people like the name. Oh, Goldman Sachs. Well, he's got to know what he's doing. Can you say you worked there if you didn't work there? No. No, you cannot. And it's not embellishment. That's a lie. But what if you are working for um, Santos Enterprises and Santos Enterprises provide some sort of service to Goldman Sachs? This is what he's trying to say now. Well, I I said I worked for them, but I didn't work for them directly. I'm not even sure if that's truthiness. I mean that's a real, real difficult one. That's a tough putt. But all he had to do from the beginning was simply be honest. And given that district, if you look at the district and now all of a sudden I find myself knowing things about a congressional district I don't live in. I think I may have traveled through there at one point when I was in New York City for something, but I don't know much about it. But now I had to go back and look and research, blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking going, wow, you could have just been honest about all of this. And you probably would have won by an even bigger Margin. So I don't know what happens to him as we move forward. The problem that he has is that he's a Republican. See, Republicans, if they say this sort of stuff, if they present information that is not actually true, they are held accountable. Not like mm, Democrats. Way back when, a guy by the name of Joseph Robinette Biden, you, you may remember him. He's now the presidential meat puppet playing the part of the president in this, the third term of uh, Barack Obama. Uh, this Joe Biden character had a few things to say that were, well, embellishments? No, even, even the Associated Press said they were lies. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. I do have a couple of favors to ask of you. I need some help on the social media front. So if you are over on Facebook, no, let me change that. Go over to Facebook, look up the Jeff cat show and follow that page. I'm trying to get to the next step. I think it's like 13,000, which doesn't seem like a lot. I know because Glenn has millions of people. I'm I'm a humble little guy in central Virginia. Nobody knows me. So uh, if you don't mind on Facebook, follow the Jeff cat show and then hop on over to Twitter uh, follow Jeff Cat Show over there. I would appreciate it greatly. It is Jeff Katz. So happy to be sitting in for Glenn. This is the Glenn Beck Program. It's the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz. Happy to be sitting in for Glenn. I mentioned this uh, Joe Biden character, who, if you're looking for him, is now on vacation, right? He's going to the Virgin Islands. And It's the best part. I mean, there's a terrible blizzard. There are at last count 50 plus Americans who have died as a result of this. Even if you don't care about them, and from the looks of it, Joe Biden doesn't really care about them. If you're playing the part of the president, don't you just pretend that you care about them? Is there nobody in the White House who says, boy, this doesn't look good? People in Buffalo, New York are dealing with how many feet of snow? How many people have no water? How many people have no food? How many people have been forced to engage in uh, undocumented shopping sprees? Maybe we shouldn't go to the beach. That's what would happen in a in a regular, in a normal presidential administration. But this is not like that. This is an administration. This is a team that has told each and every one of us, blank you and the pony, the dog-faced pony you rode in on. They don't care. And if we still had respectable reporters and journalists, this would be a story. But the legacy news media hacks have become nothing more than bottom-feeding water carriers for the uber-leftists. So this is not a story. But way back when, the Associated Press actually engaged in the practice of journalism, and I had to go way back and find this story. But since we are talking about political embellishments, I just want to share this from you. The Associated Press... Senator Joe Biden claimed during a campaign appearance in New Hampshire last spring that he finished in the top half of his law school class, although records indicate he finished near the bottom. In a videotape, remember those, aired by the public service cable network C-SPAN several months ago, the Delaware Democrat was asked at a campaign stop in Claremont, New Hampshire, on April the 3rd, about what law school he attended and how well he did. On the videotape, a clearly angered Biden told the questioner, quote, I think I probably have a much higher IQ than you do. The first year in law school, I decided I didn't want to be in law school and ended up in the bottom two-thirds of my class. And then I decided I wanted to stay and went back to law school and, in fact, ended up in the top half of my class. But last week, Biden released his law school record showing that he had graduated 76th in a law school class of 85. The law school transcript also showed he made little progress in class standing through the three-year course, ranking 80 out of 100 in the first semester of the first year and 79th out of 87 the second semester of his second year. Biden has been deviled about questions in the last 10 days about his law school career and his use of others' words in his speeches without credit. I think technically that's called plagiarism. He revealed last week that he committed plagiarism in law school and took a course over to make up for the error. In the videotape, Biden went on to say, "quote I went to Syracuse Law School on a full academic scholarship. Uh, the records he released last week indicated that he had an $800 scholarship from the school as well as $1,000 in room and board from his work as a resident advisor in a dorm and student loans. Quote, I won the international moot court competition. I was the outstanding student in the political science department as an undergraduate. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school, and I'd be delighted to sit back and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank, Biden told the questioner. Hmm. The tape was aired April the 10th and 12th as part of uh, the C-SPAN Network's Road to the White House series. Newsweek magazine. Remember them? They used to have reporters and journalists as well. Newsweek magazine said Biden does not mention the moot court competition on his resume and did not win the political science award at University of Delaware, where he didn't actually receive three degrees. He received a single degree in political science. Uh, Biden told the New York Times he was frustrated and angry as hell. It's so easy to make things look like there's something sinister about them. I guess every single word I've said is going to be dissected now. Well, yes, because you have put yourself out there in the in the spotlight of his class ranking in law school. Biden said, quote, I exaggerate when I'm angry, but I've never gone around telling people things that aren't true. Well, actually, you have. I mean, I, yes, you have. That's the whole point. There is truthiness, there's exaggeration, and then there's Biden-level, complete and total Biden science. It's nonsense. By the way, he's fine. Does George Santos survive this? I don't know. We've got a little snippet that we'll listen to in a moment. It's George Santos actually chatting with Tulsi Gabbard. And uh, Tulsi does not grant him any slack. It is Jeff Katz, K-A-T-Z, in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program.
2: The Glenn Beck Program.
1: Bet Program, Jeff Katz, sitting in for Glenn, News Radio WRVA in Central Virginia, and you know how you take your kids to those uh, strip clubs, right? Oh, you don't. All right, I, I don't either, and I I couldn't even imagine for a second saying to the wife, hey, Heidi, I got this great idea. You know the strip club out there in the seedy part of town? I say we load all the kids up in the minivan. And we head down there for their special Christmas time performance. Uh, my bride is heavily invested in easy spirit shoes. I am of the firm belief that uh, we probably could open a store. In fact, maybe we should open a store. Every time I turn around, there's another truck here, whether it's UPS or it's FedEx or any of the other delivery companies. And these poor guys are wheeling in Easy Spirit shoes. We have them in every color, every variety. Why? Eh, Because she likes Easy Spirit shoes. And I only mention that because I know that a lot of the Easy Spirit shoes are very comfortable. So after I suggest taking the kids in the minivan to the strip club for a special Christmas performance, uh, she will try and pelt me with those shoes. But if she's using the soft ones, I should be okay. You can't even imagine it, can you? Why? Because you're a decent person. There's none of us who are decent people, fundamentally decent people, who would think, oh yeah, best thing ever. Load the kids up in the minivan, take them to the strip club. So so why are we supposed to accept now as reasonable, sexually explicit drag shows? I'll give you an example. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. And thank God for Governor DeSantis. I absolutely love him. I really do. Uh, Governor DeSantis, his uh, Department of Business and Professional Regulation is now investigating a sexually explicit drag show that took place in Fort Lauderdale on December the 26th. Just two days ago. A drag queen Christmas. I'm a big Hallmark movie fan. And even as Hallmark has uh, sort of expanded their Christmas offerings, I'm pretty sure a drag queen Christmas was not on the list. A drag queen Christmas. In Fort Lauderdale two days ago, it welcomed children in the audience. That's the problem. If you're an adult, you're over the age of 18, and you decide, well, I just want to go and sing a couple of rousing verses of Jingle Bells, and I want to do it with a whole collection of drag queens who are going to be featuring simulated sex acts and exposing fake breasts. Well, by gosh, you go and do that. I don't want to be the Grinch. I don't want to steal your Christmas fun. If you really think that that's what you ought to do, I think you're kind of twisted and demented and not in a good way, but okay, go and do it. You're an adult. But how on earth does anybody, anywhere, at any time, think that having children in the audience is the right way to go? There's something truly demented about that. There's something truly evil about that. According to Governor DeSantis's office, state of Florida was made aware of, quote, multiple complaints about a sexually explicit performance marketed to children held in Fort Lauderdale on December the 26th, and they are actively investigating. The investigation includes video footage and photographs from the event. State of Florida will take action. Governor DeSantis's office says. They also make clear that exposing children to sexually explicit activity is a crime in Florida, and such action violates the department's licensing standards for operating a business and holding a liquor license. You want to punish a restaurant? You want to punish any sort of a entertainment facility? You take away their liquor license. Because those folks make money with liquid, right? Solids, there's not a huge markup, but liquid? Oh, huge, huge markup. This is disturbing. But it's not unusual, unfortunately. I'll give you another example. About 1,500 miles away in Massachusetts. Some parents went to court. They filed a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit. And they said, we need to know what our kids are doing in school. Is that not about as fundamental as it gets? We as parents need to know what our kids are doing in school. I mentioned to you, I'm here in Central Virginia. I was one of the folks who led the effort. I came up with this really cool hashtag, because, you know, that's how you fight battles now. Hashtag, we the parents. We the parents. And we the parents said, Yeah, we need to be involved. We need to know. We need to be aware of what's going on in schools. And we had a couple of terrible cases here in Virginia. Just up the road from me, Loudoun County, Virginia, a boy in a skirt, assaulting, sexually assaulting a girl in a a bathroom. And then the school division just moved the boy to another school. Guess what? Here's a shock. He did it again. The parent, the father of that girl stood up and said, what, what is going on? He was demeaned and attacked and, and, and forcibly removed from the, the school board meeting. And I should let you know, about a week or so ago, a week and a half ago, a grand jury here in Virginia found all sorts of problems with the school division in Loudoun County. And now that school board has fired the school superintendent who's now facing charges as well as their their PR flack. So at least there's some progress. So, again, I go back to we, the parents. So listen to what happened in Massachusetts, because, boy, this will send a chill up and down your spine. Federal judge recently dismissed the lawsuit. These two parents, a mom and a dad, different kids, by the way, claimed that public school officials in Ludlow, Mass., had encouraged their children to change their names and their their chosen pronouns. But a U.S. district court judge said that Stephen Foote and Marissa Silvestri just didn't have any standing. This judge, Mark Mastroani ruled that the lawsuit against the Ludlow public school officials failed to meet the, quote, shocks-the-conscience legal standard for due-process claims. It doesn't shock your conscience. It shocks every fiber of my being to think that some teacher or counselor is telling my son or my daughter, "Eh, you ought to try that other gender on for size. Eh, You might like it more. In fact, instead of uh, he, because you're a boy, well, why don't you say she? Because you've decided you're going to be a girl today. These parents learned, according to their lawsuit, that school officials at a middle school had urged the child to adopt a new name and different gendered pronouns. They went so far out of whack, so far over the line. And yet Judge Mastroani, an Obama appointee, said, "Nah, it doesn't really rise to any level of concern for the court. It's outrageous. You want to talk about how the leftists are trying to turn kids against parents. Trying to undermine every single part of a decent society. This is what they're doing. And I don't want you for a second to think, oh, this is it's it's just it's just letting people live their lives. Because I happen to be in favor of just letting people live their lives. But when you are actively actively trying to get kids to do things that the kids themselves don't want to do. And then you say, we're not telling the parents. It's a huge, huge attack on decent society. And this is how this goes. All you have to do is look back at Mao Tung in China. What did Mao do? Mao had children march their parents into the streets to be ridiculed and abused and demeaned and insulted. And then the parents were either sent to, quote, re-education camps or they were just killed right where they stood. And the kids were rewarded for that. And so the next generation came along with nothing but complete and total allegiance to the Communist Party and nothing but contempt for their own parents who were trying to teach them right from wrong. I don't think we're all that far away, unfortunately. You want to read more about this? I do have all of this posted. If you will follow my social media, you will see all of it. And I will appreciate it. I'll tell you that. Uh, Over on Facebook, look for The Jeff Cat Show. I mentioned yesterday I wanted more people to like it. Apparently, there's not a like button on that page, so I've got my social media director on it. We're going to try and get one there. I don't know why it's not there, but in the meantime, would you follow the Jeff Katz Show over on Facebook, the Jeff Katz Show on Facebook, and then over on Twitter, if you don't mind following me there? I'd really appreciate that as well. Jeff Katz Show. All right, K A T Z. So many people said Jeff. Slow down. Slow down. Spell that last name: K A T Z. Jeff Katz Show. Over on. Twitter. It is Jeff Katz, and I am in for Glenn, and this, of course, is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. It's the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. I'm Eh, slightly emotional. I'm looking at an email I just got from the Pottery Barn. I well, all right. Look, look. Don't don't cancel my man card yet. But uh, they're they're having this after Christmas blowout on everything Christmas related, which by the way is the time to get Christmas stuff. December the twenty sixth. Look, trees are half price. Everything's half price. So they had they had something that Heidi wanted, and uh, she wanted to get it in time for Christmas, and she went to the pottery barn near us or around us I honest to goodness I don't even know where it is but but she went because she knows because you know she's a mom they know they know things and she went and they didn't they didn't have these things but anyway I because I'm a I'm a good guy I went online and I found it and I ordered it didn't get it here in time for Christmas but I just got the email that said it's it's on its way so that's just between you and me that I've Got an email here from the Pottery Barn. And not to worry, I've got 82 emails from Joseph A. Bank reminding me that uh, everything is uh, on sale. I love Joseph A. Bank, I I really do. Anyway, listen, Tulsi Gabbard was sitting in for uh, Tucker Carlson and she had this George Santos guy on. Remember George Santos? I'm not Jewish. I'm Jew one, two, three, four, five-ish. It's kind of like an old Seinfeld episode. That's how it feels to me. But but take a listen to their exchange.
3: You said there in that letter that you are quote a proud American Jew. How do you how do you explain that?
4: My heritage is Jewish. I've always identified as Jewish. I was raised a practicing Catholic. I think I've gone through this. Even I've not not being raised a practicing Jew, I've always joked with friends and circles, even with, in the campaign I'd say, guys, I'm Jew-ish, remember I was raised Catholic. So, look.
3: The results that people are looking for are called into question when you tell blatant lies, not embellishments. And this is, this is, I think, one of the biggest concerns, Congressman-elect, is that you don't really seem to be taking this seriously. You've apologized, you said you've made mistakes, but you've outright lied. A lie is not an embellishment on a resume. You said you worked at Goldman Sachs and Citigroup but they've said, we've got no record of this guy working for us. You've said you've gone to and graduated from these universities, but they've said, well, we've got no record of that. These are blatant lies, and it calls into question how your constituents and the American people can believe anything that you may say when you are standing on the floor of the House of Representatives supposedly fighting for them. That's the real issue here.
1: She's great, by the way. I love Tulsi Gabbard, and were it not for some of her still, I think, Way far left ideas. She'd be maybe good as a as a Republican. I mean, the labels don't really mean anything anymore, do they? But I do. I like her. I think she's tough. I think she's smart. Um, am I going to be a terrible person? Will I will I be accused of something terrible when I say, and by the way, she's a very attractive woman. Are we allowed to say that anymore? I don't know, I, but I'm saying it because I think she is. I think that's the first thing for a lot of guys. I don't know if this is good or bad, but for a lot of guys go, huh. Wow, she's very pretty. And then you hear her speak and you go, Oh, she's very pretty and she's brilliant. And now you pay even more attention, which I, I guess is the way it's supposed to go. How am I being paid today? Eh, social media things. That's really what I'm looking for. And I found online, if you haven't been to the blaze.com recently, there's this whole merchandise section. I did mention to Heidi, I need one of these blaze hoodies. They're beautiful. Yeah, it'd be a late present, but I'll take it. So make sure you're checking out theblaze.com each and every day. Make sure you're checking out glenbeck.com each and every day. Sign up for Glenn's morning brief, man. Oh man, you are going to be well informed. Social media stuff. I'd love to have you following me on Facebook and on Twitter. Look for the Jeff Cat Show. It is Jeff Cat. So happy to be sitting in for Glenn. This is the Glenn Beck Program.
2: Glenn Back Program. Here is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program.
1: Do the Twitter files being released by Elon Musk show a coordinated attack on the First Amendment? Insight from the always brilliant, cogent professor, Alan Dershowitz, in 60 seconds. Oh. It is the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. I was shadow banned, I think is the term. I had 25,000, 30,000 followers on Twitter, and then one morning I woke up and everybody was gone. People sent me notes saying, hey, how come you cut me off of Twitter? And I thought, "I, I don't even know how to do that. There's nobody to appeal to, but now I'm back up. I think around 7,000 people are coming back in, and I always appreciate the follow over there on Twitter. Now, as I try and rebuild this, with Elon Musk now owning Twitter, we are seeing more, hearing more, reading more about what was going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of involvement, it seems to me, from the federal government. Isn't that then all about the First Amendment? Well, what do I know? Professor Alan Dershowitz, however knows about this and well pretty much everything else and i'm always so happy to chat with him professor thank you for being here
5: well thank you and a merry christmas and happy new year and happy to everybody may it be a joyous season and a a better new year for everyone.
1: Oh, here's to a better new year, absolutely. I, uh, As you know, I've had a love-hate uh, relationship with you for years. I grew up uh, hating you because you were defending the Nazis and Skokie, and I was a 12-year-old riding a school bus to protest against that. And some, what, 40 years later, now I'm sitting here going, man, I love this Dershowitz guy.
5: Hey, I would have been on your bus protesting the <laughs> Nazis and Skokie. Yeah. I, I w- had nothing to say other than protest them. I was just against the government Mm -hmm. trying to interfere with their free speech uh, because I thought it would be much better to defeat them in the marketplace of ideas under the First Amendment. But I would have been on your bus protesting them. I would always protest Nazis and uh, and bigotry of any kind at the same time. I defend it. Uh, That's what I did when I defended President Trump. I voted against him and (laughs) I defended him on the floor of the Senate. That's what I've been doing for 60 years of my life.
1: Well, we, we appreciate uh, your, your consistency and your honesty. Believe me when I tell you that. It's, uh, uh, it, it's a record that deserves respect. So tell me what's going on with Twitter. A private company can tell me yes or no, I can be on their platform, but if the FBI and other federal agencies are involved, isn't this now a First Amendment issue?
5: It is, and it's one of the most important and pressing First Amendment issues of the 21st century, and that is the relationship between government actors and private social media. Social media has enormous, enormous power today, so much power that there are arguments that have been made. I don't support them, but arguments that have been made that they've become common carriers and maybe aren't completely free Of any constraints by government but putting that aside whatever way you come out on that one having the government's thumb in this case elbow on the scale and essentially telling Twitter Facebook uh, and others what they should and shouldn't censor really is a double violation of the First Amendment first of all It gets the government into the business indirectly of censorship. And second, it does it without transparency. Mm -hmm. If they did it openly, at least we could protest. But if they do it behind the scenes and we need uh, Elon Musk buying the company to disclose it, that's a double violation of the spirit and perhaps even the letter of the First Amendment. These are issues that will come before the Supreme Court in the next decade.
1: The next decade. Gosh, we have to. why, Why are we not standing up today and saying, hey, address this well I,
5: I i think it should be addressed it should be addressed by congress they can do it more quickly mm-hmm. it should be addressed in the lower courts but by the time it gets to the supreme court and uh, is formulated as a constitutional issue it may take as long as a decade what i'm wow. suggesting is this decade is going to be a decade in which the first amendment issues uh revolving around social media and its relation to the government will come to the forefront um it will be one of the most important first amendment issues you know when i said that some of my colleagues laughed at me this is five six years ago lawrence tribe said how can i think this is a first amendment issue this has nothing to do with the first amendment look anytime the government has anything to do with telling us what we can hear read write listen to that implicates the first amendment yeah
1: uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz joining us. You mentioned Lawrence Tribe. There, there are a lot of folks who used to be friends. I don't know what your social status is these days, but uh, they're lining up and seemingly taking this idea to heart that says, well, you know, they were silencing conservatives, so what do we care?
5: No, it's worse than that. Uh, they're now actively opposing the First Amendment. They're saying the First Amendment is patriarchal, it's awesome. white supremacist, It's elitist. We don't need a First Amendment. For the first time in my 60-year experience uh, as a First Amendment advocate, probably even more than that. I'm now 84 years old. I've been doing it since I was a kid. For the first time in my life, we're seeing academic support for abolishing the First Amendment. We don't need it. It's not necessary. Um, The marketplace of ideas is good enough. There shouldn't be minority rights. Uh, Certain things shouldn't be heard hate speech shouldn't be heard, uh, criticism of the left shouldn't be heard. um, And and we're hearing for the first time an attack, a frontal attack on freedom of speech, as well as on due process. You know, if you think you have the truth on your side, capital T, capital T, Mm -hmm. what do you need dissenting opinions for? What do you need due process? We know that if you're accused, you must be guilty. We know that if, somebody says something negative about you, it must be true. Why give anybody an opportunity to respond in the marketplace of ideas or in the court of law? That's the road to totalitarianism. When I was a kid, it came from the right during McCarthyism. Now that I'm an old man <laughs> coming from the left, um, woke, uh, progressive, um, anti-freedom attitudes that we're hearing from some of my own colleagues. Oh,
1: Professor Alan Dershowitz joining us. You know, Professor, I, I I've mentioned to you before my, my oldest boy is at Stanford. He's a junior there. I know you've had a granddaughter uh medical school at Stanford. Uh he unfortunately, as brilliant as he is, and look, he 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 would tell you how brilliant he was when he marched off to Stanford, and every semester he's there, he's convinced he's even more brilliant. But he is totally buying into exactly what you just said because the professors, the academy, telling him, no, 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 we don't need any of this. I'm terrified by this.
5: Well, that's why the hard left today is far more dangerous than the McCarthyism ever was. When I was growing up, I thought nothing could be worse than McCarthyism. But McCarthyism was the past. that had no influence on university campuses to speak of. But today's sensorial lack of due process is permeating the academy. And so your son, who's today a A junior at Stanford 10 years from now will be a member of Congress or in the editorial board of The New York Times or uh, a Goldman Sachs partner uh, will will be a a ruler of the world and making important decisions. And if they're being propagandized today at Stanford and Berkeley and Berkeley, for example, you can't speak at 14 clubs unless you announce publicly you're an anti-Zionist and against Israel's right to exist as the nation state to the Jewish people. You can't even speak on Berkeley campus in 14 clubs. Uh, it's happening at Princeton. It's happening at Yale. Yale Law School, where I went uh, 60 years ago, uh, shouts down members of the Federalist Society who have a different point of view about uh, certain rights. And, and uh, we're seeing it at Harvard as well. And so uh, it's the future leaders of America who are being propagandized that's why it's so dangerous, and that's why your show and others like it, presenting an opposing point of view, presenting both sides of issues. Look, you and I, and Glenn Beck and I, we, we tend not to agree on very many things uh, politically. I'm a right. liberal Democrat, always right. votes uh, on the left, but yeah. I'm a civil libertarian first, and I believe in the Constitution before I believe in partisanship.
1: I, I, I am right there with you, in my fear, and you, you, you absolutely... Uh pointed it out is that my son and others in his generation will be leaders in another 10 years, 20 years. Uh, never never, ever having heard a, a dissenting opinion, believing that every dissenting opinion is is not just wrong, which I always, listen, I always chalk that up to immaturity, right? Image, ah, You're just wrong and that's the end of the argument. But there is now this idea that uh, those who do not agree with woke are not just wrong, they're evil. And of course, as good, upstanding woke folk they have to eradicate evil
5: well no that's true look i went to Chilmark, massachusetts for 53 years i went there to defend ted kennedy at chappaquiddick um from there i defended bill clinton uh, against his impeachment and now the general group in Chilmark that i was a part of uh won't talk to me or my wife um oh. Uh, uh, Caroline Kennedy was seated next to me at a dinner party, and she said if she knew I had been invited, she wouldn't have come. Uh, this is the ambassador to Australia who's supposed to be talking to China, can't abide talking to me because I defended President Trump. Or an old law school friend who said to me he always invited me to his event uh, every summer, but if he did this summer, it would be, quote, social suicide to oh. be seen with me. Another said, I'll have dinner with you quietly if you promise you won't tell anybody. But, you know, there's been a whole uh, mechanism. Another one invited me to his daughter's um, engagement party and then disinvited me saying my wife could come. But I couldn't because too many people would walk out if they saw me simply as a result of the fact that I took a different view of the Constitution that they did. And ironically, of course, I was right and they were wrong. The Constitution does not permit impeachment or abuse of power or, uh, uh, or contempt of Congress It only permits impeachment for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, they would have taken the same position had Hillary Clinton been impeached, had Sheedman elected, or right. if Joe Biden gets impeached. It's right. just hypocrisy at its worst. And the students are learning hypocrisy. They're learning that it's okay to be a hypocrite and to apply a double standard as long as you come out the right way on woke issues.
1: Professor, I know it's not chillmark and it's none of your really cool friends, and I've never been the ambassador to anything except the, the second bedroom, but um, anytime you're in central Virginia, you have a standing offer to come and eat with us publicly where everybody can see that we are uh, um, chatting amicably.
5: I appreciate that, and I may take you up on it. I love Virginia. It's uh, one of the great states, and of course, a state that, Uh, one can't imagine American constitutional law without Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and and Madison uh, all coming from the great state of Virginia. So anybody who loves the Constitution has to love Virginia.
1: Well, we love you, Professor, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best. I thank you again for making some time for us and uh, look forward to doing it again in the not-too-distant future.
5: Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody.
1: Thank you. That is Professor Alan Dershowitz. It is Jeff Katz. Happy to be sitting in for Glenn. This is the Glenn Beck Program. It is the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz. Happy to be sitting in for Glenn. Yes, I'll spell it. K-A-T-Z. Happy to spell it, actually. K-A-T-Z. Don't ask me to spell Dershowitz. Uh, It's just Dersh. Professor Alan Dershowitz, did you ever think that you would feel as warm and fuzzy as you do about Professor Alan Dershowitz? I'm not making anything up when I tell you, when I was 12 years old, I hated him. Hated him with a passion. Because there he was in Skokie, Illinois, defending Nazis. Defending them. Now, as a 12-year-old living in Oxford Circle, section of Philadelphia, It's a mostly Jewish neighborhood. And in our community, we had a number of survivors of the Shoah, the Holocaust. They had numbers tattooed on their arms. I can remember as a little kid, growing up on my street, next to us, we had a a husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs. Barg. That was their name. To this day, I don't know what the first name was because I just wasn't raised to address... Elders by their first name, even when they invited me to, so I only knew them as Mr. and Mrs. Bark. and they were older even at that time. And I remember that my brother and I, amongst other things, had to help our neighbors. They were our neighbors after all. That's what you did. So, it snows in Philadelphia. We would go out and we would shovel our steps. And then we would shovel Mr. and Mrs. Barg's steps. And then we would shovel a little path between uh, their, I call it a patio, but it's kind of an insult to patios. It was like six feet of cement. But we would shovel, shovel a path because Ed, who was the mailman, and we did know Ed, and I never knew his last name. But Ed was our local mailman, and he would have to walk down the street delivering the mail. So so we always shoveled a path so he could get from Mr. and Mrs. Barg's house to our house, and then we would shovel a little path for the house that was right next to us. I mean, next to us. That was attached on each side. It was a row house, and those were the Walsh's. And we knew everybody on the street. But I can remember as a little kid looking at Mr. Barg, and Seeing the numbers on his arm, and I, I asked him, I said, "What are what are those numbers?" And he hesitated for just a moment. He said, "Oh, oh, well, Jeffrey, those are that's our telephone number. I, I'm very forgetful, so I, I wrote our telephone number on our arm." And I said, "Oh, okay." Now, of course, it wasn't his telephone number, but Mr. and Mrs. Barkley, so many people in our neighborhood had survived the Holocaust. And there were there were a handful of creeps in the neighborhood just outside the neighborhood, actually, who decided they would attack older people in our neighborhood who were Holocaust survivors. Because the way this worked, some people had cars, some people didn't. Mr. and Mrs. Barg did not have a car, and Mrs. Barg would walk from her house with a little shopping cart down to Castor Avenue, which was the shopping street, and she would buy groceries, and then she would walk back. Well, these creeps came into the neighborhood, and they looked for people like her. And they had all sorts of awful, ugly, horrible things to say. Hitler didn't get enough of you guys. Hitler should have finished the job. You don't deserve it. awful things. And then they they attacked these older folks who were Holocaust survivors. And so there were a bunch of us that got together. And it was the JDL, the Jewish Defense League, is what it was called. And it was organized. And every, I think it was Tuesday evening, a bunch of us would be in the in the basement of the local synagogue learning how to fight. And there were some of us of a certain age, 12, 13, 14 years old, we would, as our duty, walk with folks like Mrs. Barg to the grocery store and back so that these thugs did not get to attack her. And as that was happening, these despicable bottom feeders in Skokie, Illinois, decided... They would put on their Nazi costumes and march through Skokie, a town filled with Jewish survivors of the Holocaust. And there was this guy, this Dershowitz character, a Jew defending them, and I hated him. And as I got older, I realized Professor Dershowitz wasn't defending the Nazis He hated them as much as we did. He despised them as much as we did. And as he just told us moments ago, Jeff, I would have been on your bus protesting. He was defending their right to speak freely because unless we defend ugly speech and protect speech with which we disagree, then what the heck is the point? You and I have to stand tall. You can read all of this on the Jeff Cat show on Facebook, Jeff Cat show on Twitter. It is Jeff Cat sitting in for Glenn. This is the Glenn Beck program.
2: The Glenn Beck program.
1: It is the Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for Glenn. There is a renewed call for people to quote, mask to put face masks back on because well we we've, we've got this it's not just the pandemic Jeff the pandemic I thought the pandemic is over yeah 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 well the pandemic is over but covid theater continues apparently a new episode of uh, the covid show on un- underway we uh we, we have a uh, it's not a pandemic Jeff it's a it's tripledemic we we we've got covid We've got the flu, we've got the cold, we got some other stuff too, and you wouldn't understand it because you're not smart enough. Just listen to us. Put put, put your dog on mask on. No. No, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm I, I'm done with all of the subservient behavior that has been forced upon us. I really am. I'm done. Now you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask. The two times that I will wear a mask. Day number one, Halloween. Day number two, if I am ever pressed into emergency surgery somewhere because every actual real surgeon on the planet has vanished. Other than that, I'm good. Thank you very much. I am not going to engage in behavior that teaches our children to be weak that demands they be dependent, because that's what this is part of. And we can argue about whether it it helps or it doesn't help. In fact, do you remember uh, Dr. Fauci, that despicable demonic little garden gnome that we saw for years, highest paid government official? He started out when all of the COVID was underway. And in fact, back then we didn't call it COVID, right? It was the Chinese virus or the Wuhan virus. Because that's what we've always done, right? Lyme disease, Spanish flu. It's always been connected to where it originated. And it was. Never, it's not a knock on anybody. It's, it's just a, it's a geographic descriptor. And we've always used that. But now that we're living in this, this political age... Where organizations like WHO, World Health Organization, are fundamentally wholly owned subsidiaries of the Chinese Communist government. Well, the Chinese Communist government calls up and says, hey, uh, you got to cut it out with this uh, Chinese virus stuff because it's looking bad for us. Come up with something else. Uh, And they did. But way back when it really did begin, and it really was... Located almost exclusively at the beginning in Wuhan, China, we saw images of some of the people in Wuhan wearing masks. And Dr. Fauci was on record as saying, well, you know, masks are not going to protect you. That's not going to do anything for you. And then he changed his tune and then demanded everybody should wear a mask. Well, this continues. Even as you and I are now being told, well, you got to mask up again because we got the triple demic, man. And, and if you're not wearing a mask, you're one of those bad people. You're an evil person. You just want people to die. You're a terrible, terrible human being. Take a listen to President Biden's COVID advisor.
4: There's no study in the world that shows that masks work that well. So it, you're never going to get the kind of benefit from mandatory year round masking as you would from making substantial improvements in indoor air pollen but it's a lot easier to implement as
1: well a lot easier to implement there's no benefit but it's a lot easier to implement and then we know who's on our side and who's on the wrong side because that's how they see these things they don't see it as well your opinion in my opinion they see it as you're wrong because you don't agree with me so if they are in a position to mandate year-round mask wearing, they can see immediately who's following the rules. You're not wearing a mask where well, you're a bad person. You're going to have to be vilified. You're not going to be allowed to do things. You won't be allowed to transact business. You won't be allowed to support your family. I mean, you might work in one of those non-essential trades. Remember that? Non-essential. What does that mean? Can you honestly tell a parent, a mother or a father, whatever job they're working at, you pick a job you don't like, pick a job you do like, I don't care, but pick a job. Now imagine for a second you are a mother or a father and you work at that job. You may work at that job because part of you loves the job. You may find yourself working there even though you hate the job. But why are you really working? You're working to take care of your children. That's essential any way you slice it. The idea The government bureaucrats who didn't miss a single paycheck, they were not short a nickel, They didn't have to participate in PPP or ABC or XYZ or MOUSE or whatever these other programs were because their checks kept coming. There was no voluntary pay cut forced upon government workers. Take a look in that dreaded private sector, though. There were all sorts of companies. Laid people off, fired people outright. Said to the people that were left, "Uh, you're going to have to, well, you don't have to, but we'd really like it if you took a pay cut. It's it's purely voluntary, but, uh, you know, if you don't do it, well, you got to get all your stuff out of your desk. Doesn't sound that voluntary, but okay. Now tell all of those people, tell those people who made sacrifices like that, you go ahead and tell them that their work is not essential. It's essential to their children. It's essential to their sons and daughters being able to eat every day and live indoors and have clothing that fits. They're essential. The government bureaucrats, were they essential? I don't know. And I'm not talking about frontline personnel. I'm not talking about police officers, firefighters, EMTs. They are essential. We all know that. We all agree on that, don't we? No, I'm I'm talking about bureaucrats. I'm talking about paper pushers who never ever lost a nickel. Why? Because it's your money. They haven't run out of your money yet or my money yet, and even if they find that they're getting close to running out, they'll just fire up the printing press and print more money. It's all fiat money, by the way. They never lost a nickel. They were never faced with the prospect of taking a voluntary pay cut or losing their job. In fact, some of these people actually wound up uh, getting bonuses. Am I really supposed to look to them and say, oh, I trust you? Because I don't. It's the same battle I, I fought with my oldest boy. He came back from Stanford. See, worked in it in again. But he came back from Stanford as COVID is hitting. And in fact, I don't think it was even called COVID at the time. I think it was still uh, the, the the Wuhan flu or the Chinese virus, whatever. I, I don't even remember what it was, but it wasn't COVID, right? But I remember he called and said, hey, listen, uh, they're going to close down the campus for two weeks, so I, I got to come home. Can you get me an airplane ticket? And so being the the loving dad that I am, I got online, I got him an airplane ticket, and he came back for two weeks, wound up staying for 18 months, but he came back for two weeks. And during the 18 months, as apparently the entire world was just disintegrating before our very eyes, he was in many ways terrified. And he didn't say, oh my gosh, I'm terrified, but I could see what he was going through. I could listen to him, the conversations we had. He believed with his very core that this was it. It was was all coming to an end and how unfair that was. And my gosh, you know, I just got to Stanford and it's just not right. I, on the other hand, thought, oh, here we go again. And he was angry with me. I mean, really, really angry. He was torqued. Why? Because I wasn't taking it as seriously as he was. Now, why was that? Because I loved illness and sickness and germs? Not even close. I think I mentioned to you yesterday, right? I've always been the guy with two huge bottles of Purell on my desk. I, I don't like germs. Not a germaphobe, but I don't like them. But I had been through this stuff before. I survived Ebola and bird flu and swine flu and all of the other end-of-the-world situations that we had seen. And it was at that time that I finally fully appreciated why certain people of a certain age always begin by telling you how old they are. When I was younger and people would do that, you know, Jeff, I'm 72, I think, oh, okay, whatever, who cares? Why do you have to tell me how old you are? And people of a certain age almost always begin the conversation by telling you how old they are. And I used to find that so flippant annoying. My God, why are you doing that? And then I realized it. Oh, I get it. You've been through a lot. You've seen a lot. You've done a lot. You're not going to be suckered. You're not going to be subjugated because you already have lived through this sort of nonsense. I get it now. And so I find myself saying things like, well, in my five decades, because I just want people to have a little glimpse into this. And that's what I told my oldest boy. I said, dude, I've, I've lived through all of these other end-of-the-world scenarios, and I'm still here. And you may not like what I have to say. Heck, you may not even like me sometimes. Oh, it's not true. Well, whatever. But I'm just telling you, I am not, not going to be under anybody's thumb for this or any other reason. Just not going to happen. Social media, my friends, I would love to have you uh, step up and be part of this. Over on Facebook, please look for The Jeff Katz Show. I know there's no like button. I don't know why, but there is a follow option. So if would you mind give me a follow over on Facebook, The Jeff Katz Show. And then over on Twitter, if you would follow me there, I'd love it. I've got all this uh, stuff we're talking about today. It's all posted there as well. Jeff Katz Show on Twitter. And yes, it's K-A-T-Z, Jeff Katz. Cats, normally heard on news radio WRVA in Central Virginia. It is Jeff Katz in for Glenn. This is the Glenn Beck program. Stay
2: informed. Sign up for the free newsletter today at glennbeck.com.
1: happy to be sitting in for Glenn. Take a look. Take a look at the attempts to control speech. Professor Alan Dershowitz was here a little bit earlier. If you missed it, go to theblaze.com. You're always able to listen to podcasts. And if you're not looking at theblaze.com multiple times a day, you're doing yourself a disservice. Glennbeck.com, another wonderful resource. Every day in my email box, there's, there's an update, there's a report, there's some suggested reading that comes from Glenn, and I, I find it very valuable. So, glennbeck.com and theblaze.com are, are two must-visit websites for you. See what people in power are saying about speech. Take a look at what is being done. How many times can Glenn talk about the Great Reset before people start paying attention, say, oh, my gosh, yeah, now I get it. Because it's really easy at first when you talk about the Great Reset, you talk about any of these things. and People go, ah, you're just nuts. Yeah, it's a conspiracy theory. You're just part of a conspiracy theory. Well, I tell you right now, I'm not part of any conspiracy theory. And I think if we're all going to be involved in this conspiracy, we're going to need a lot more uh, tape to wrap around our heads. But this is not conspiratorial in nature. This is looking at, well, as an example, World Economic Forum in Davos. They say it right there. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. You're not going to own anything. You're going to be happy about it. We'll take care of everything and then you just have to you know, shut your mouth. Take a look at college campuses. College campuses where college students are now being taught any dissent is just evil. We know what the truth is and if you are not in line with these woke points, well, then clearly you are wrong and because you are wrong, nobody has to listen to you. In fact, nobody should listen to you. It is about demonizing those of us who don't subscribe to their ideology. That's what is so evil about it. Something as simple as saying, well, we have boys and we have girls. Let's get on with the rest of our day. If you go over to the Jeff Cat show page right now on Facebook, I have a video of a guy claiming that he is suffering from intense period cramps. You have to look at the video. You just have to look at the video and you will understand the nonsensical nature of so much that is being forced upon us right now. And you either agree with it or you will be silenced. You will be canceled. Check out Jeff Katz show over on Twitter. Give it a follow. Check out the Jeff Katz show over on Facebook. Give it a follow. It is Jeff Katz in for Glenn. This is the Glenn Beck Program.
2: This is the Glenn Beck Program. Here is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Back program.
1: Exactly why would the FBI be involved with Twitter? Insight from a career FBI special agent. 60 seconds from now. It is the Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz. Happy to be sitting in for Glenn. We were talking about the the Twitter files. Elon Musk purchases Twitter for, what, $44 billion. And starts poking around the file cabinets, the executive washroom, finds a whole bunch of stuff and starts releasing this. And a lot of it is really disturbing. Now, some of it, the... Uh, the shadow banning, the, the removal of followers and the rest of it, you, you could say, hey, it, it's private company. Right? It could do what they want to do. But the involvement apparently on the part of some Department of Justice folks and some FBI agents gives me pause for concern. We, we, we discussed it a little bit a few moments ago with Professor Alan Dershowitz, and I wanted to reach out to somebody who had, to put it mildly, a distinguished career as a special agent with the FBI, who was willing to say, all right, let me let me take a look at this and let's chat about it. And that's Bobby Chacon. I'm happy to say that Bobby is joining us. Bobby, thank you for being here.
4: Good to be here, Jeff. Thanks.
1: What is your just your gut check sense? You're looking at these Twitter files come out. they're they're pointing towards some folks from the FBI being involved. Is, is it just all nonsense? Is there something here we need to know about?
4: Well, yeah, it's it's a lot more than nonsense. it's 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 dangerous. It's shocking to a lot of us former agents. I've been speaking to many of my former colleagues over the last few weeks about this. daily, we're in communication with each other. Um, And it's one more shocking revelation of how the FBI has gone off the rails politically um, and engaged in behavior that is not law enforcement. And it's much more towards policy, enforcing policies and becoming henchmen for other people in the government and in private sector.
1: So... I mean, the FBI has had a couple of bumps along the road, right? My my oldest boy is home from Stanford and couldn't wait to show me a book all about uh, COINTELPRO. See, see, I told you so. Uh, but for the most part, every... Every brick agent that I've ever known, Bobby, has been by the book straight up and down saying, man, this is not a political thing. We're not uh, active that way. We're politically agnostic. We're going after bad guys. So is, is the mission different, or is this just a handful of people on that seventh floor saying, look, here's what we really want you to do?
4: Well, certainly the mission isn't different from a statutory standpoint. We are legally tasked with enforcing federal law. Now, the question becomes, not only from the seventh floor, but also from the executive ranks in the field, the SACs, the special agents in charge of the field offices like San Francisco in the case of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it's more than just the seventh floor, but it, but to me, it do, it doesn't really reach the rank and file. And that may be just my emotional tie because for 27 years, I was a street agent. I did not go into management ever. Uh, it was not my intent or my objective ever in my career. So um, But I did see a, a an alarming change in the type of people that were going into management rising through the ranks just before I retired in 2014, um, the likes of Andy McCabe and Peter Strzok and things like that. Um, people like that that I saw, you know, just thirsting for power. Um, and then you get inside the beltway for too long. And then you have, um, uh, you know, people get in bed with each other. McCabe's mm-hmm. wife was running as a Democrat and receiving money from Terry of things like that were never heard of in my time in, this, in the 80s and early 90s when, when I had first come into the FBI. And unfortunately now it does seem to be a cabal, but I think it extends, unfortunately, beyond the seventh floor because FBI headquarters is a revolving door and they all kind of jump for two years at the headquarters then back in the field, back to headquarters, back to the field. And they, each time they're notching, they're going up a notch in the ladder. So a lot of these people that spend time in the seventh floor then out in the field offices and then back and forth. So there are alarming behaviors on the part of some of these special agents in charge who are complicit with their buddies back at FBI headquarters on the seventh floor. Bobby
1: Chacon is joining us. Bobby is, well, uh, a lot of things. Bobby, I can't uh, list everything, but uh, my goodness, 27 years, distinguished careers with the FBI in Hollywood now, screenwriter and producer and all of this other stuff. One of the things that I have heard recently, Bobby, that concerns me are calls from people who ordinarily, traditionally, you would you would say were big supporters of law enforcement, now standing up and saying, we just need to dismantle the entire bureau. Is that realistic? Is that is that a good idea?
4: I, I don't think it's realistic or a good idea. I think that when you have, you know, there are organizations that, you know, go down a certain path um, and then need to be reformed. I think that major reforms are needed, sure. Um, but I don't think, the dismantling, I, like I said, I don't think it's practical to think that way. The FBI has been in existence for over 100 years. Um, the last big agency that I remember that they wanted to disband was the ATF, and, and President Reagan nixed that idea. Um, but uh, the paperwork was already done, and how we, the rest of the agency would absorb it's just it's just a, a behemoth to think about. And the government moves so slowly on these things. But I think reform, certainly reform, is needed because. You know, we've been talking amongst ourselves and, you know, my network of retired agents. And I mean, these these Twitter files are so disturbing. I mean, they make the Pentagon papers look like a junior high school book report Mm -hmm. um, in in the fact that you had a government agency tied to a, uh, a private company, Twitter. Right. And now we the FBI was asking Twitter to shut down certain things that it popped up as as misinformation during the election? First of all, what's the federal crime there? The fact that the FBI had a national election command post is disturbing in in itself because the traditional Department of Justice policy was 90 days before an election, we didn't make any arrests on public corruption cases. We didn't do anything that might even give the perception of putting our finger or a thumb on the scale of an election. So this is the opposite. Now we're standing up a national election commandos. What's the crime committed? If somebody puts out, mis- look politicians have lied since politics started in the United right. States, right? Hil- That's right? Hillary Clinton never came, t- never came under fire in a helicopter. She lied about that. There was no effort to censor her about that. You know, uh, uh, Joe Biden's wife was not killed by a drunk driver, He keeps repeating that. Nobody ever tries to censor that information. That's misinformation. Both of those are very famous lies told by politicians, and and we expect that from politicians. We expect that from politicians' supporters. We expect it. We expect it from PACs. We expect it from you know partisans. And so the fact that people lie is not new. It's nothing new. This quote unquote now misinformation that we need to stop from getting out. There's no crime there. I'm sure that there are some lawyers in the FBI headquarters who came up with some cockamamie theory of what crimes that they were going to try to try to investigate. But from my look at it, this is, these are terms of service violations that Twitter should on its own look at. And if they you know, they're a private company, they can censor whoever they want, right? Because that, that, that goes against their, their company policies and you agree to those when you establish an account, but for the government to step in and point Twitter in the direction of a certain Group of people saying censor this information because we don't like it or we think it's misinformation it's not a crime the fbi shouldn't be involved in that
1: bobby Chacone joining us a career fbi agent a, a distinguished career to put it mildly bobby one of the one of the things i've heard as well folks saying to me look jeff i get it the the guys out in the field the gals out in the field they they're not really the problem but they should stand up to their supervisors. They should stand up and tell their their bosses, no, we're not going to do that. Is there a, a mechanism inside the Bureau for you as a special agent to turn to your, uh, your ASAC or your special agent in charge and say, no, sir, no, ma'am, not going to do that?
4: Well, you know, there are general whistleblower protections in the government, uh, and we've seen, you know, a special agent friend and other people like him start to do that. I, I, I really have a really tough time with this question that you pose because, you know, I spent my career, I saw things I didn't like, it didn't really affect me to do my job. I was putting bad guys in jail and, you know, I, while, while we would talk about it over coffee or something, you know, it wasn't something I wanted to risk my career and and my, the, the the livelihood that I supported my family with so it, it's a really difficult position for me to be in because you know you go into government with with the goal of you know doing a certain amount of time and getting a pension at the end and and, and I was a lawyer before I went in the FBI so I could have had a, a lucrative career in law you know yes. and so I I I I you know I foregone that financial gain because it was a job I loved, and I, I was dedicated to putting bad people in jail. And and you know I, I I would you know when I was fifteen, sixteen, eighteen years, you know just a few years from retirement, it, it would have been tougher for me to say I'm going to throw this all away because of politics, and because the FBI is involved. Now, if I was ever personally involved, or I was personally told to do something, that's different. That would be a different. I was never. In that position, I kind of heard grumblings of things happening back at headquarters. But that was I was in Los Angeles. That was, you know, thousands of miles away and really didn't affect my day to day actions as an agent, which I think is the, the, the position a lot of agents are in there today. They're out there working bank robberies. They're out there working kidnappings, terrorism. We just arrested a top 10 fugitive in Mexico. We're working murder investigations, RICO, organized crime and and some of this stuff they read about in, in the news, but they don't face it every day at the office that they go into. Um, but there are, like you said, there are agents like in Indianapolis during the, the the bungled, uh, investigation into the, into the U S gymnast, um, which was an SAC that really should, should never get a pension. Um, and he did, they allowed him to, to, to retire early, but, but there are agents that do come across this and there are, you know, whistleblower statutes. I don't know if they're, if they need to be, you know, upgraded or whatever. But, you know, Senator Grassley has always been a big uh, supporter of, you know, people inside the government being able to come forward and and testify and not, you know, suffer repercussions. But I saw it in the FBI. I saw people step forward and get fired, you know, and and suffer retaliation for stepping forward. Um, It shouldn't happen, but it does. And, you know, every time it happens, it, it should be looked at very closely. This, I don't think these, these Twitter files, I think, you know, the Justice Department can't look at itself. The FBI shouldn't be investigating. itself. this has to come from an outside agency or, or, or Congress needs to look at it in hearings or something, because this is a very serious uh, merging of government function and private industry to go after people that are not breaking the law and you know, the FBI, I know that they said tried to say it was some foreign thing, but this was the San Francisco field office, because that's what the Twitter uh, uh, headquarters was was covered by. And this, these were, this was the special agent in charge of the San Francisco field office and agents in that office working for the FBI's National Election Command post back at headquarters doing the bidding of somebody in Washington. Who who it was? I don't know whether or not this was confined to the FBI saying, you know, we're gonna we want you to monitor all this misinformation. As soon as we spot it, we want you to shut them down. That's improper, first of all. And and my question is, were were people at FBI headquarters taking direction from either Justice Department or people from the White House?
1: Great points. Bobby Chacone, thank you so much for making time for us. That is Bobby Chacone, a retired FBI special agent, twenty-seven years, distinguished career. He's an attorney by training. He's a he's a screenwriter and a producer in Hollywood and just one of the uh the best of the best. I always appreciate the chance that I get uh, every once in a while to chat with him. Remind you, social media. If you don't mind giving me a follow, I'd appreciate it on Twitter, Jeff Katz Show, Jeff Katz Show over on Twitter, K A T Z. Uh, Facebook, love to get that up. It's not a little milestone to hit. Uh, that would be great. The Jeff Katz Show, K A T Z again is that last name. It is Jeff Katz in from my friend Glenn. This is the Glenn Beck program. Is the Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. 1-888-727-BECK. one 888 727 I I definitely want to uh, chat with you, that's for sure. But I also want you to take a li- <laughs> little something uh, that came out. I don't know, it was the, wasn't the was uh, the the libs of TikTok. Maybe it was the libs of TikTok came out with this or somebody else. Um, I, I am not on TikTok by design. Uh, I feel that I'm really not interested in helping the Chinese Communist Party if if I get the opportunity to not help them. But uh, somebody dug out an old video of Mr. Rogers. You remember Mr. Rogers? Super nice guy. Liked everybody. I mean, he really did. Liked everybody. He also could explain everything Let's take a listen to Mr. Rogers. Boys
5: are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl and grow up to be a lady. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine.
0: Only girls can be the mommies, only boys can be the daddies, yes sir, everybody's fancy,
1: everybody's fine. Could you imagine, in this day and age, such a dangerous statement? You can't say that! Boys are born boys and they'll always be boys, no! No, no no you can be anything you want uh, except you can't uh, girls are born girls and will always be girls and that's not- no no rogers you fascist you're an awful human being fred rogers how dare you say those things what do you mean only boys can be daddies that that's outrageous you can't say that Only girls can be mommies. Don't you understand that guys suffer from menstrual cramps? No, they don't. Yes, they do. Anybody can be anything they want. No, they can't. Only boys can be daddies and only girls can be mommies. It's about as basic as it gets, right? Right? Does anybody really want to accuse Mr. Rogers of being a hater? Cause that that's how you and I are now labeled, you see, to get us to just shut up. You're just filled with hate. Hate 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 hate. Yeah, you think if you're like me, man, I I I really don't hate anybody, with the exception. Child molesters? Oh, of course I hate them. They're evil human beings. I do hate child molesters. But other than that, I don't really hate anybody. Some people I don't particularly care for. Well, I don't hate you if you decide, well, I'm, I'm going to wear makeup and women's clothing. Okay, knock yourself out. I don't care. Well, I'm not going to wear makeup. and I'm not going to wear women's clothing. Well, once again, I don't really care. But when you get down to basic facts, remember, we're supposed to follow the science. You do remember that that phrase was really, really popular for a while. Follow the science. Well, listen, we're following the science. And this Mr. Rogers character, not a hater, not a bigot, not mean, nasty, cruel. He said it. Boys will always be boys and girls will always be girls. Only boys can be the daddies. Only girls can be the mommies. Go ahead. Tell me that Fred Rogers was a mean, evil, phobic hater. Because people, if they're going to be honest, would stand up and say, Oh, you have lost your minds. Okay, I got so much that uh, I do want to uh, share with you, including a development coming out of West Point. They're ditching completely Robert E. Lee, one of their their most accomplished graduates. You can read the story right now on Facebook, The Jeff Cat Show, or on Twitter, Jeff Cat Show. It is Jeff Katz in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. It is the Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz. Happy to be sitting in for Glenn. 1-888-727-BEC. 1-888-727-BEC. Okay, let me me head on over to Blaine, who's listening in Louisiana. Blaine, you're on the Glenn Beck program. Blaine? Hi, Blaine. All right, let's move on to uh, Ben, who's out in Indiana. Ben, you're? On the Glenn Beck program.
4: Hey, thanks for taking my call today. Yes, um, sir. Long time, long time listener, first time caller into this program. Welcome. But, um, really appreciate um, you taking my call. I wanted to talk about our um, our fight for our public schools. Yeah. I think it got off, oftentimes I think I think it goes unnoticed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what you may not know is I am a very small time conservative content creator. So my YouTube handle is. Find me at. Recently, made a video that um talks about my state. Uh, okay,
1: so- uh, thanks very much. You think he was wearing shoes? I always, I always am concerned about that. By the way, uh, before he kind of went in that direction, talked about school boards for a second. It, it's it's the most overlooked part of government, and it really is darn near the most important, isn't it? We think about this. We talk about we vote for presidents. We need a strong president. And we do. I'm not diminishing that. But the reality is that Slow Mo Joe, who, by the way, is on a vacation as we speak, right, headed to the Virgin Islands because, well, why not? And nobody will know the difference whether Joe Biden is wearing his terry cloth bathrobe and his, funny, his fuzzy bunny slippers shuffling aimlessly around the Oval Office or he's trying to ride a bicycle down in the Virgin Islands and hoping against hope he doesn't fall off and look like a complete and total doofus. doesn't matter where he is because he's not really in charge of anything, I don't think. It's like a giant meat puppet, this guy. Our presidential meat puppet. They make his arms move, his lips move. Sometimes he actually says what it is that they wanted him to say. Sometimes he says the part that he was never supposed to say out loud. But doesn't matter. Because you've got so many water carriers in the legacy news media ranks that whatever he says or does, he gets away with. But anyway, sort of digress there for a second. The school board issue. You have kids in schools? have grandkids in schools, got a nephew, got a niece. Let me tell you something. You better know what the heck's going on in their schools. And school boards are sort of like the incubators for some of these outrageous, insane, dangerous policies. And there's a reason for that. There's a big reason. Because the younger these people are, when you start... Indoctrinating them, the easier it is to control them along the path. If you take a look at the situation, then you'll understand. I'm going to give you a personal example, okay? Years ago, we lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I loved Charlotte. I really did. A wonderful city, great radio station, the whole the whole bit. We still have friends in Charlotte. Our friend Linda Jones makes the the Best chocolate chip cookies anywhere on the planet. I love Charlotte. But there was a weird thing that happened. My oldest boy, who I haven't mentioned, and gosh, it's got to be five minutes now, is a junior at Stanford University now. My oldest boy was in kindergarten. And he came home one day and he says to me, Dad, why does George Bush hate polar bears? And I remember thinking, "Gosh, what a what a bizarre question." And and another part of it that really bugged me was you're five years old. You can't talk about President Bush and call him George like you've been buddies with him for 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 your lifetime. That it doesn't work that way. It's certainly not in my house. I said, "Well, Harry, first of all, it's President Bush." cuz you're not pals with the president. You can't call him by his first name. Oh, okay. This is way back when he actually listened to me and thought I might know something. And then I said, "Harry, President Bush doesn't hate polar bears. Where'd you get such a crazy idea?" And I honest to goodness don't remember the name of his kindergarten teacher, but he said, "Well, Mrs. so-and-so told us that today." I said she did? Yeah, why? Why? What was the conversation? And he started providing to me this 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 report on what had happened in a kindergarten classroom. Heidi kind of walked in in the middle, and she could see clearly. Uh oh, it's got to be trouble. Because I said, "Well, I got to go to school tomorrow. I'm going to the kindergarten." teacher. Oh, please don't. Don't make trouble for us. And I, I I said, well, I'm not making trouble. But I don't want my son's head filled with some, some, some inane drivel that purports to be education. I mean, it's kindergarten, for God's sakes. That, well, what's the most important thing in kindergarten? Think about it. Besides nap time, what's the second most important thing in kindergarten? Learning that your nose is not a snack dispenser. That's kindergarten. Oh, and here's a here's a blank sheet and some crayons. Go go color it in and then go take a nap and don't eat anything that comes out of your nose. That that's it, it's kindergarten. Mm-mm. They had started early. And this boy, five years old at that time, came home, and because his teacher had told him it had to be true. And she had told him that President Bush hated polar bears. Now, I've seen it throughout the years with the education, in certain places, not all. But some places sort of glaze over 9-11. If you're of a certain age, you just never knew that the World Trade Center used to be there. We just came through the Christmas season. Right. And what is one of the things that most of us do during the Christmas season, whether whether you're celebrating Christmas or not, uh, do you not watch certain movies? So we have a whole list of holiday movies. I would tell you that there's a great Hanukkah movie out there, but there's not. It's like the it's like the songs. We have exactly two Hanukkah songs. We've got Dreidel, Dreidel, Dreidel. Yeah, there are 10,000 different versions of it, but it's one song, Dreidel, Dreidel, Dreidel. And then we have Adam Sandler and the Hanukkah song, and that's it. And there's all this great Christmas music. Well, it's the same thing in the movie section. No great Hanukkah movies, but there's some great Christmas movies, and I don't mind watching them. I think they're great stories. I love them. I love Christmas movies. So we watch White Christmas every year with Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby. We, we watch um, Love the Coopers. Yeah. Uh, the Family Stone. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. A Christmas Carol. Whatever version we're going to watch, but we absolutely watch a version of the Christmas Carol. Uh, Miracle and 34th Street. They're great movies. And one of them we watch every single year is The Family Man. And that's with Nicolas Cage and Taya Leone. And it's a great film. For me, any film that involves Taylor Leone is a great film. But this really is a great film. Nicholas Cage is, at the beginning, he's, he's this big, high powered Wall Street dude. And what's really striking for, for me and for Heidi, not just the story, although the story is a great one. And for me, again, did I mention Leoni? Leone's? Yeah, I oh, love Taylor Leone. But it's the fact that there are images of the World Trade Center there. Well, to me, that's like a punch in the gut. Every time I see a a photo of the World Trade Center, those towers standing tall, I just, I remember everything from that day. But then you start thinking about somebody who is, say, the age of my children. My 21-year-old has absolutely, positively No first-hand recollection of the World Trade Center. Now, we used to drive by them when we lived in Charlotte and we were traveling up to New England to see my in-laws. We'd go through New Jersey. And we'd always look to the right and there were the World Trade Center towers. But he doesn't remember that. And for him, when he watches that movie, it doesn't really mean anything and part of it is because schools have just sort of they happily breeze by September the 11th i think September 11th ought to be an entire piece of curriculum on its own it's a huge story it's a major impact on our nation and instead it's covered in a couple of paragraphs so so that's the point of this is that the school boards make these decisions what books will be read what books won't be read are you <clears throat> are you really going to have these these pornographic books in school libraries well they're everywhere in middle schools absolutely outrageous books it's up to parents and so we can Argue about control of Congress. We can debate who's who's really doing things in the Senate. We can we can get involved one way or the other with the presidential race. But let me tell you something. If you are not involved at the local level, if you are not showing up to school board meetings, and despite what Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, said about parents showing up to school board meetings, they're not terrorists. They're moms and dads who love their kids, value teachers but want education and not indoctrination in those schools. you got to stand up for this stuff, or else there'll be more kids who come home asking you why Republicans hate polar bears and not knowing anything at all about the World Trade Center or September the 11th, 2001. Check out the social media presence if you don't mind. On Twitter, Jeff Katz Show, K A T Z is how you spell it. I know uh, some places people are going, I have no idea. Did he say Katz? Did he say, what did he say? Katz, K A T Z. Jeff Katz Show on Twitter, The Jeff Katz Show over on Facebook. In both of those cases, would you give it a follow? And while you're online, please make sure you're looking at Blaze.com, you're looking at GlennBeck.com. And if you want to send me an email, I'm always happy to see those. Go to TheJeffKatzShow.com, and there's a button there to send me. In email, Jeff Katz from News Radio WRVA in Central Virginia. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Stand up! This is
2: the Glenn Beck Program.
1: Glenn Beck program, Jeff Katz. Happy to be sitting in for Glenn today. I mentioned to you yesterday that Heidi and I are having this debate about television, right? I mean, it's cold where we are. I'm in Virginia, and like last night it was, it was 20 degrees. And, and today it's going to be, I don't know, 40 degrees, 45 degrees. Now this weekend's going to be 65, 70 degrees. Fantastic. But I don't like the cold. I, I, I don't like the ice. I don't like this. I don't like any of that stuff. I came south from from Boston figuring, well, it's pretty far. I'm south of the Mason Dixon line. And uh, no, it's cold. So what does Heidi want to do? Hi, my wife is a well, she's addicted to weather stuff. When they were sort of spitballing the weather channel. It was Heidi they had in mind. She loves it. It's like weather porn. I swear to you. It's like a teenage boy who somehow got into his dad's closet and found a stack of those magazines. That's the intensity with which my lovely bride watches the weather nonsense. So I said, I'm not sitting here watching weather reports. I I get it. There, There are people in Buffalo who are dealing with seven feet of snow. And it really, really stinks. And people have died. And it's horrible. And I will remember them, make no mistake about it. I will keep them in my prayers, but I don't want to watch nonstop weather coverage. So what does she do? She discovers a show on the History Channel called Alone. Well, I had high hopes for the television program Alone because I thought, well, it's a show about being alone. I like being alone. I can watch it and be alone. Oh, no, we're going to watch it together. So right away, we're not alone when we're watching it. And it's a bunch of crazy people who are dropped into somewhere in British Columbia. And they, they can bring a couple of things with them. And then they're supposed to survive out in nature for 100 days. And if you, if you get to that, then you get a half a million dollars. My ears perked up at the half a million dollars. I'll give you that. But I thought they're insane. And all you see are they're hungry. They have no food. They're bears everywhere. And I thought, well, why should I watch that? I, I go to the grocery store. It's, it's equally as painful. And on Peacock, woo, the Ric Flair documentary. I had to watch. I think it was five episodes of Alone before I could be alone with the Ric Flair documentary. And all I can say is, woo, stay in touch on social media, would you, over on uh, Facebook, the Jeff cats show on facebook over on twitter jeff cats show and yeah you spell it k-a-t-z and if you want to send me an email the easiest thing to do is head over to the website the jeff cats show.com let me thank lance and don and sarah and especially glenn for letting me sit in it is jeff cats in for glenn this is the glenn beck program
2: The Glenn Back Program.